what's up? My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in to the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community, a part of GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus and have a passion to learn and live like Him and have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to His truth and His hope, so lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for listening. Questions Jesus Asked, this profound series where we're hopefully taking our time, working through the Gospels in a different way, looking at uh, trying to unpack some of the questions that Jesus specifically asked, uh, asked us, asked his people, asked disciples, different, different people at different times. And I would just say that questions themselves, specifically when they come from Jesus, are extremely interesting. Like you even saw some of the stuff like kind of popping up there on the screen because Jesus is all-knowing. Like, he is, he is fully man, but he's also fully God. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that Jesus would even take the time to ask a question. And so when he does ask questions, and he asks over 339 questions in the Gospels, or about that, it's really important that we take time, we take a moment, pause, reflect, explore, navigate, get a little introspective, and begin to ask ourselves, why is he asking this question? Today's title, this sermon tonight is The Question You Can't Avoid. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The unavoidable question, one of those two works for me. I know for me, I have reminders on my phone that are always asking me questions, right? I don't know why I do it that way. I could just tell myself something, but instead it's like, have you spent enough time with your kids this week? I'll ask myself, I'll put that in my thing. Or, or have you asked Trina how her day was? Whatever it is, like questions provoke something. Questions are important. Questions are are good, but can I just go on record and say, any, the, whoever it was that said there's no such thing as stupid questions is a stupid person, okay? <laughs> there's stupid questions out there, right? There is, like, let's be honest. Like, maybe you're in a meeting and it's like, we're blue sky and just no bad idea, no, no bad question, no stupid question. It's like, well, have you had kids? Because if you've had kids, there's stupid questions. Like, there's like a lot of teachers in the house, right? If you're a teacher, you know, there's stupid questions, right? I'm looking at four of them right now. They're all like, no, yes, right? There's stupid questions out there. I was, uh, recently I went to lunch with someone and we were off our way, we were going to Burger Crush. Like from the moment I sat at the church, I'm like, you want a Burger Crush? Let's go to Burger Crush. So we're walking, we're headed to Burger Crush. We get to Burger Crush. We're sitting there, we're looking at the menu and I'm like, what are you getting? He's like, I'm not sure yet. Okay, yeah, me neither. I'm just looking. But then I'm like, it's cheeseburgers. There's only one thing to get. And so we walk up and then we go, the person asks, well, what, what can I get for you? And it's, I'll get a cheeseburger because that's what you guys do. It's burger crush. And then I look over and I said, and I'll get whatever this guy wants. What do you want? And he goes, I don't know. What do they have? It's like, burgers. What do you, what are they? We've been here. We're standing, like, you've been looking at the menu. What are they? They have burgers. She's like, what, what can I get you? I'm like, dude, what, like, it's burgers and fries. Get something. He's like, what's good? The burgers! Like, I was just like, I just ordered for it. I was just like, too bad, too, you've taken too long. We'll get burgers, two burgers, that's it. Like, this isn't hard. This is a stupid question. It is, it really is. Like, aren't you a little bit embarrassed when you get to the front of it and you've had all that time? I'm saying this, and although Andy's here, and Andy definitely talked about how he often goes to the line and doesn't know what he's getting because he's distracted. Like, listen, this is important for you to know. The line is important for you. It's for you to gather your thoughts into order. And I just remember being like, this is a stupid question. I remember this. My kids even, like we get to McDonald's, they know what they're getting. I know what they're getting. We don't need to talk about it. It's McDonald's. It's not like, what do they have, dad? We know what they have. Cheeky, cheeky nug nugs. That's all we're getting. And we're going to eat and we're going to drive and the car's going to stink and we're going to hate this decision. And then we're going to go on and pray after this because we shouldn't have done it. My other least favorite question, this is a silly question. 
that's not a silly question, but it can be a little bit silliness, okay? You know when you're ordering something with its takeout and the person just keeps asking you, is that everything? Have you ever, like, I come up with my whole family. It's like me, it's Trina, it's George, and Bo's up there, he's like playing with the coin thing. He's like totally messing around. It's like, hi, can I get, I'm gonna get a, a coffee and I'll get a bagel. Awesome, sir, yeah, anything else? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, Trina, what would you like? And then it's, oh, well, I'll get coffee, so two coffees, two bagels. Is that everything? No, I have a small basketball team. I'll tell you when we're done, you know? Easy Timmy's. Like, Timmy's just hates me. Every time I go to Timmy's, God's like telling me, don't go here. Like, it's always Timmy's. Is that everything? Is that everything? No, stop. I'll tell you. And I have to get like kind of passive aggressive. I'll let you know when I'm done, okay? Bo, and it's like this huge thing. It's like, ah. Uh. Questions are everywhere. There's stupid questions. There's smart questions. There's, there's purposeful questions. There's difficult questions. There's, there's pointed questions. There's distinguished questions. There's questions, questions, questions. And I think for us, specifically this demographic, we're faced with questions every day. What should I do? Where should I go? Like, what should I do with my life? What, what about this? Or do you have this? Are, are you ready for that? What am I gonna, where am I investing? What's this? And we just kind of feel bombarded by it all that we kind of just want to put all the questions aside and just go on with our life every day. But if we do that, we miss something really, really important and significant because the question reveals something about the person asking and answering. And I think that's what's so special about Jesus is that he actually takes the time to ask the question, even though he knows the answer. And so for us, when Jesus asks a question, when he points something out, we have to understand the question is revealing something about him as he asks and us as we answer. And so we have to dive deep into this. So with all that said, by the way, if you work somewhere where you have to ask that and they tell you to ask that question, you're not stupid, okay? Just, just relax. With all that said, let's jump into Matthew 16. Matthew 16, if you, if you have your Bible, head there. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. You can find the same chunk of scripture in Luke. That's chapter nine and Mark chapter eight. Uh, but specifically, the Matthew version is a little more in depth. It's a little more, there's more to it, which is really powerful. It says this in Matthew 16, again, verse 13. If I give you enough time to get there, if not, it's on the, it's on the screen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son, here's that question, here's part of the question, who do people say the son of man is? Now this is, this is important, so let's just pause for a second. I know I always do this. We say one verse and then we stop, but it's important to understand the context here. Caesarea Philippi was this interesting place. It's kind of away from where they had been doing a lot of ministry, 25 miles or so from Sea of Galilee. It's this spot where there's not a ton of Jews, and so, I was reading a lot of different commentaries this week saying this might have been a moment where Jesus was getting a bit of a retreat, where he was kind of actually retreating away. He, this is, this, there would have been Gentiles here, there would have been people who, who had all sorts of backgrounds, but he's actually taking a moment with his disciples and say, hey, let's, hey boys, let's go, for, let's, get, let's, let's go for a little retreat. Let's get a weekend away. Let's have some time. Let's slow down. Let's pause. Let's reflect. And so he begins to sit in this new place, this kind of different spot, I should say, where he begins to talk and again, non-Jewish area, he was getting out of town, wanted some space, so it's away from the healing and he's not being asked to preach and he just has a moment to teach and to talk with his disciples. And this area is interesting because of the many backgrounds and the places that have kind of dominated. And so there would have been temples there that would have been dedicated to Caesar. There would have been all sorts of different, different idols that would have been there beforehand and still lifted up or partially there. And so you have, you would have had the, god, the, the Greek god Pan, which is this half goat, half man, flute, playing God of the wild, God of nature, like Mr. Tumnus, basically, if you know Chronicles of Narnia, like that kind of, we watched that last night with our kids, funny enough. Mr. Tumnus, basically, is, is what you're looking at, right? With the, the flute, yeah, anyways, you got that there. You have the Canaanites who would have had the God of Baal, Baal there, who, again, if you know your Bible, deep into some Bible history, that would have been the God of fertility and water and 
because God would have, there would have been child sacrifice. And so you have like just a really interesting sporadic view of idols and gods and temples. Caesar, like the town of Caesar, right? Caesarea and then Philippi, son of, son of Herod. And so you have this like Roman background. You have this Greek background. You have this Canaanite and just honestly, which comes into play with the different Jewish history. You have all these different gods, all these different idols, all these different things. And now you have Jesus. So just follow me here for a second. This area is covered in gods and idols and styles of worship. Consider the backdrop. Mountain hillside, there's some caves, there's water, there's a river. There's just different spots here. Jesus sits down with his disciples and on this kind of spiritual retreat, if you will, from away from the busy and the hurry and the healing and the preaching, he simply asks his closest friends, his followers, this question. And I think that's why it's so profound. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, let me break down this a little bit too. And again, because like, I never wanna skip past something, although it may seem like really like theological or whatever, I don't wanna skip past it because this stuff's important for you and for me. This idea of son of man for us, when you hear that, many things come. I'm just gonna be honest. When I hear that, I think of Tarzan. Anyone else? Phil Collins, great soundtrack. Check it out, it's worth it. Son of man. No? Anyone in the original Disney? I got some nods. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Some of you just skipped the Disney phase, hey? Gen Z, you skipped Disney and went straight to like serial killer documentaries? Good for you. Yeah, you didn't miss anything there. I can't say, huh? Come on, Tarzan. Watch Tarzan. It's worth it. And so you see this moment where he says, son of man, which is really this reference to Daniel 7. Okay, I need you to hear this. Verse 13, 14, what talks about the God of ages, this, this word, this word, or ancient of days, excuse me, which is this term for God, that he would come to earth, that he would rule and have dominion and he would set his new kingdom up and he would look like the son of man. So when he says son of man, this isn't some weird thing to say. He's, he's referring to the Messiah. He's making a claim about his like kingship, about this deity, about being God. You have to understand that to understand this text properly. And so he says, who do the people say the son of man is, who, who I am claiming to be? And he's referenced himself as the son of man before. So on this backdrop, again, all this context of this religious buffet kind of behind him, he says, who are the people saying that I am? Okay, first question. They replied, this is verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I like this. It's, it's interesting. They, they're, they're quick to give this kind of honest opinion of what other people or the culture is saying about Jesus. It'd be interesting to even do this with us. Like if I was to say to you, who, who do people around your work, in your class, in your school, where, like whatever it is, who do they, what would they say Jesus is? What would they say Jesus is? And, and so they respond, like who do people, he says, or another version says, what are the, who do the crowd say that I am? And they respond with this again. And these are good answers. These are like solid B plus Sunday school. Like I'd be happy, like Elijah was the man. Elijah and Moses were held in very high esteem to the Jews. And so this is like, oh, okay, Elijah, yeah, okay. John the Baptist, he prepared the way. He came with power and he, he had disciples of his own, like Jeremiah. There's like, these are like guys. These are like honest, great prophets and people. These are all solid answers with biblical insight. And this is just so us. Ask this hard, thought-provoking question. And instead of just like thinking and stewing and really asking yourself, like, I wonder, yeah, who do the, what do the crowds say about you, Jesus? Like they just, they bolt out these answers and, and, and it's interesting, like all I would have to do is ask a simple thing like this, and we're super happy to give an opinion for someone else, aren't we? Like we're fine to give an opinion for someone else. It's, that's easy. 
I read an article that says, right? How many people start a conversation that way? I'm to blame, I am. You know, I've heard some people say this. I'm not sure about me. I mean, me, I don't know. But, th- th- you know, this group of people may say this and this group of people may say that. Depending where you find yourself politically, you might think, fill in the blank. And so we like to kind of point out what everyone else would say, but we're avoiding the question. I kind of like they're like, it's like, oh, they say this, I'm not sure, you know? All I have to say to you is, is one word and we could have all sorts of opinions about something. I say to you, climate change, you're gonna think all sorts of things. I say to you, Oscars, you're gonna say, you know, Will Smith, Chris, that's what we're gonna say. I say to you, Tofino, we're gonna have another debate. Doesn't matter, right? Like, I love how many people know where I stand at Tofino. I had someone just come up to me on the side of the street. I know you hate Tofino. No, I'm kidding. I'm not getting a hate mail about Tofino just yet. But we're so quickly to say, I don't know. I don't know if people love this person or that person. I'm not sure if culture accepts this. Why do we avoid the question sometimes? Why do we push it aside? Why are we quick? Oh, that, like, I find it interesting. Here's what I'm trying to say. That this generation, my generation, our generation, us together, Gen Z's, millennials, we're quick to give an opinion. We're quick to suggest an idea, but we're not always quick to suggest what may be the truth. We're so concerned with offending one person or another person we're so worried that we may get isolated for our beliefs that we're quick to just suggest an idea or a thought. We're quick to say, like, I can't imagine that nobody thought Jesus was the Messiah. Like, we're, we're not far away from the cross. Jesus has done some incredible work. Like, already the hearts and minds are being changed of many people. And they don't once say, you know, I heard some guys who think you are who you are. Like, that never happens here. They just suggest all these other people. I think we're okay to overlook facts say something false rather than having a confronting conversation because we hate confronting conversation. We do. And you're right now, you're like, no, I don't. Stop saying that. That's fine. Whatever. No, I don't. And you're confronting already the idea that I'm confronting you. you know? We don't like, like confrontation. We don't like it. It's not easy. We don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be told that our beliefs may be different or abstract. We struggle with the idea of like hitting something. Like it's, it's hard for us. And so I have seen and I have done, I have said things I know not to be fully true and not honest with myself because I'm scared about hurting someone's feelings or dealing with something in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, I don't wanna deal with it. So let's just not talk about this or that. And friends, I'm not talking about COVID or mandates. I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about my faith. I'm saying, I've, I've struggled sometimes to say I'm, I'm a pastor because I don't wanna deal with all that weight that's gonna come my way. I'm serious and it's not good. And we quickly overlook facts and say something false rather than having a hard conversation when in fact it might be the best thing we can do. So Jesus pushes them a little bit further. Verse 15, but what about you? So that's what the crowds are saying. Okay, that's what people are saying. Interesting. What about you? What about about us? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I love it, Peter, right? Nailed it. Peter never nailed, he nailed this one. That a guy, Pete, way to go, bud. I love it, right? And in this moment, he says, what about you, he asked. And he jumps up, Peter. Maybe he couldn't handle the awkward silence. Maybe he was truthfully just really like excited to answer that because that's where his heart had been. This here, friends, is the question, and it started with this, that, that is not, 
that we cannot avoid. We can't avoid this question. Jesus is asking it extremely like pointed at us right now. He's saying, who do you say that I am? This is a weighty question. This is a heavy question. This is a profound question. You gotta write this down. You have to think about this. You have to stew on this. We need to answer this question for, own, for our heart, for our own, our own sake, for our own mind. We need to ask, ask, ask this question and answer this question. And whether we know it or not, we all kind of respond to this question that Jesus puts forward a little bit differently. You may already be answering it. And for the rest of our time here, I wanna quickly break down a few, what I would say are cultural points of view on this idea of what, who, who do you say that I am? What would, what would culture say? Let's answer the question kind of like the disciples did in a way. One, we see that people often call Jesus a good teacher. Maybe even for yourself, you're here tonight and you feel like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a moral teacher. Absolutely. He's a, he was a real person who taught love and peace and good morals and you should adhere to those things and listen and, and walk in that way and do unto others as you wish to do unto yourself. Yes, yes, right. He was a rabbi, that's it. It seems logical and it's a very easy way to avoid the hard stuff. Please hear me tonight. The problem with this idea that he's just a moral teacher and he just has good values for you to follow, is Jesus doesn't give you that. He doesn't give you that about himself. He's not quick to be like, this is all I am, a nice, noble rabbi, that's it. And people like to debate this, this thought that he never said he was God, that he never actually said, I am Messiah, which is completely untrue, friends. They'll say, well, he said he's like the bread of life. That's not, that's not saying the same thing. And we could break that down, it's not true. But, but how about in, Sam in John four, when he talks to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman says, one day the Messiah will come and explain all this to us. And he literally says to her, I am who you're talking about. What about a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, the, the false prophets and Jesus literally says, some of you will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. He doesn't say, some of you will come to me, good teacher. No, he says, some of you are gonna come to me as I have all authority, you will say, Lord, Lord. How about right here when he references himself as son of man? Like he is, he's clearly more than just a moral good teacher. Never once did Jesus just say, that's all he is. He's constantly calling himself into unity with God. And friends, this worldview essentially, essentially calls Jesus a liar because he never says that about himself. Let me just say this too. You can maybe... For you, you are a believer in here, but you treat God, or you treat Jesus, excuse me, as a moral teacher. And so you let him in on certain parts of your life. Yeah, he, he dictates the way I kind of talk to people, and, and I definitely let him, you know, I take some of the good stuff. That's, sermon, oh, that's stuff on Sermon on the Mount. That was good, because that gives me a new way to live. And, but when it comes to like his authority on my finances, when it comes to like sexuality, those things, no, 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 I don't love those things. So he's good with his teaching on this stuff, but this other stuff, I'm just gonna leave that and I'm gonna, and he says, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how God, Jesus described himself. And again, he doesn't, he doesn't give that to you. And I would encourage you, if this is kind of your thought process, a worldview of Jesus, you have to reconsider this question. Who do you say that I am? Because he doesn't give you that. Secondly, for many people, we just consider him a prophet. I was having a conversation with a, a family member recently about this. Just similar to Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, any sort of other prophetic symbol, any sort of spiritual leader even that just pointed to a God or deity or godly way of life, which is so interesting because again, Jesus doesn't give you that. Jesus doesn't just point at a godly way of life. He literally says, please hear this, six. He literally says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
That's a big deal. And so when you say, well, Jesus is just, no, no, he's saying something very interesting about himself. He didn't come down, roam the earth, pointing to God. He came down from heaven. He came down to earth, pointing to himself as God. He's much more than just a prophet. He's much more than just some spiritual leader. Again, so he's, he's either lying about himself, or as Lewis talks about, the liar, lunatic, or finally, he is the Lord. Thirdly, and this is something new, and I have a recent story about this, is that Jesus is just kind of the universe. And what we see in the universe is spiritual, and Jesus was spiritual, and they're all sort of just this connected idea. Truthfully, it's, it's kind of above my own thinking, and it goes further. I, he came, like, it's, it's this idea that he came, he died, he left, he's in the dirt, and throughout the world, in the world, he speaks and shares his way to different people through trees, through wind, through nature, all these pieces. I was recently at a coffee shop, and I was actually prepping for this sermon. And uh, it was really tight. I was at a Starbucks, and they just want to pack you in there, don't they? They just want to get you real nice and tight. And, and the person beside me, the person beside me here, and I open my Bible, and I open my laptop, and I'm beginning to sermon prep. And this person, like, just stood up and left, like, right away. So either I was smelly or didn't want, I don't know. It was, it was a little bit like, I gave a little look, and I'm probably reading into it, but that's what I thought. And then on this side, this person instantly was like, oh, what are you reading? I was like, this is my private time, okay? You stay there, do whatever you're doing. I need to do this now, okay? Okay. I was like, pardon? I didn't say that. I was like, pardon? What's that? I'm just trying to slowly put this. Hmm? I'm just on Bible Gateway. It's fine. What's up? And I began to have this conversation with this person. And what are you reading? And I was like, oh, I'm just my Bible. I'm a pastor and I'm prepping a sermon. <laughs> she was just like, really? Like, so surprised. I didn't know that, whoa, she was really interested. And so we began to talk. I was like, yeah, what are you studying? And it was like physics way over my head. I didn't even ask questions about it. Um, and I was like, yeah, do you go to church? Like, is this something you're familiar with? She's like, I used to, but I don't anymore. Oh, interesting. What's your thoughts on all of this? I just said to her, what, what's your opinion on this stuff? Like, what do you see here? Like, what are your thoughts? She's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I just think, I, and she said the same thing. She's like, I think, yeah, it's like good stuff in there. Some good stuff for sure. I was like, what do you think about Jesus? Because he's kind of like the big deal for me. He's kind of the center, the cornerstone, if you will. What do you think about Jesus? Because I told her, I was like, that's what I'm preaching on. She's like, I don't know. I think he probably was around a little bit, but I think he probably, I don't know if he rose from the dead, but I think he was a guy who died. And I think, and then she began to say, I really think she, he, you know, he's just connected with us everywhere, is the way she described it. That I feel him and see him and I am him and we are all him and we just are all connected and everything is spiritual. No, and I, I was not laughing or pointing out, I was really interested. I was like, everything is spiritual, like everything is connected. We're all together, really. She's like, yeah, and as you what you kind of put into the universe, the universe puts back, and what you kind of sow into the world, the world so I'm like, so karma. And she's like, no, 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 not karma. No, definitely not karma. I don't believe in karma. I'm like, oh, okay, like tell me more then. And I and I, I truthfully think. The, the yearning for spiritual was so there, but there is, it's so detached from reality is what's happening. And so I just said to her, I, I straight up said, you know, for something that is so important for you in your life, for something that I think is so like, it's a great spiritual catch, I said, that everything is spiritual and it, and it really pushes away the responsibility because if something bad happens, you just say the universe wanted it that way. And I said, that, that, that really takes away the idea of responsibility. And, and I think it's kind of harsh on people's reality. I said, because people go through hard stuff. 
She's like, yeah, that's true. And then we ended the conversation this way. It was really interesting. I said, what I find so interesting is as meaningful as I think you sound. And I said, this is so bold. Oh man, it was so awkward. I was like trying to be quiet. As As meaningful as I think you sound, everything you're saying has, there is nothing that, what did I say? I can't even remember how I said it, but I was explaining there's no relationship attached to this worldview. So as spiritual as you sound, there's, there's nothing that's relational. And I just said, my belief, and I'm not saying I have it all figured out, is that we serve a God who is highly relational, a God who really loves you, a God who, friends, asks this question for us, not to try and point, push you down, not to try and force a worldview to help you see that he really is who he says he is, that he's trying to even help you understand that, listen, he is the living God the Messiah that has come. Friends, this really happened. This isn't just some old thought faith that we just kind of hold on to because it's nice, that God is real, that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you and to die for me, that you can have a meaningful relationship with him now, that you can talk to him on the daily, that Sunday is, like Monday can feel as great as Sunday night, that Jesus sees everything you're going through, that he wants to be in relationship with you, and that he wants to show you how to live this thing called life. And I think we get so caught up in the question, we forget that Jesus is asking it for a specific reason. He's saying, listen, I I want you to know who I am because I want you to understand what I can do for you and how we can do this together. So he actually replies to Peter here. This is how it finishes up. We've hit some of the cultural worldviews. We've seen how it may look even for us. Maybe there's something pushing on your heart. And finally in Matthew 16, Verse 17, the final verses of of our night. It says, Jesus replied with this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So there's that connection again, right? There's that higher connection. It's not just this, I'm a good teacher. He's he's drawing community and communion with the Father. And verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Ah, this is so good. This is so good. I want you to know, this is important, because I know there's a lot of people in here who have a background in different denominations, that Peter, excuse me, Jesus here is, is saying something very important. He's saying, first of all, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You notice he uses his past name. And then he goes on to say, and I tell you that you are Peter. And so right away, off of Peter's confession, Jesus is now giving him a new name, this intrinsic value, stone, rock. Many of us know that, but that's what Peter means. And this is often where people think that Jesus is suggesting that he's gonna just build his whole church on Peter. It's all on this dude. Because two chapters later, he literally says to him, get behind me, Satan, okay? Like that's, that's not what he said. There's a double meaning here. This is important. He's saying, Peter, on your confession, I will build my church. Are you understanding me? Are you hearing me tonight? He's saying, on the confession of what you have said, Peter, on what you have just suggested, which is what? Let's read it again. Go back. This is good. And I lost it. That's great. There it is. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That was his confession. That's what Peter said. Jesus is here, again, pointing to his what? His moral teachings. He's pointing to somebody else saying, 
follow that way? Is he suggesting that everything you see all comes to, right here, he's saying, on that confession, what you're saying, myself, the son of the living God, the Messiah here, on your confession, we will build the church on me. We will build the church. We just talked about this like last week, right? Where is your firm foundation? Like we've continued to point at this every time we get into this service. I'm like, stop looking at everything else the world will offer you. Start looking to Jesus because he's the only person who offers you something substantial, something real, something that actually adds value to your life. We talked, Pastor Lisa preached on treasures in heaven, not treasures on the earth. Like it's the same thing, guys. And he's saying right here, that's the confession on me, on this confession as we confess, Jesus, you are Lord. Friends, Jesus is not just friend. He's not buddy pal. He's Lord. That's what he's saying here. With all authority. We used to say this all the time. I say it so much, I stopped putting it in my notes. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We love to get Jesus Lord over certain things. Tests, relationships, anything that we just don't handle on ourselves, right? There's always a big pile of stuff that we feel like we can handle on ourselves that we just kind of compartmentalize. We don't need that, Lord. I've actually felt, and I mean this, guys, with all my heart, as I hit 30, yeah, I'm 30, I'm a little bit older, whatever, it doesn't matter, leave me alone, that as I've come into this stage of life, I, I have to, for my own well-being, if you're 30 being here, by the way, you're so young and hip and awesome. Really messed that one up, didn't I? You are welcome here. I have found myself declaring Jesus as Lord in my prayer life more and more. Because as my life seems to grow, as, as little baby LJ and different things come into my life, yes, Jesus is friend, and yes, Jesus is teacher, but he's also savior. He's Lord. And if he's not going to be Lord over every aspect of my life, then what am I doing? And this is the confession Peter lays out. And it's the confession I want to lay out daily. It's the confession that matters deeply. And I think a lot of us in here like the idea of being a Christian because it covers us for eternity. And Jesus is saying, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. And it's actually so much better than that such a small way to look at this whole thing. And so tonight we're gonna close. <clears throat> we're gonna close. And there's a lot I could say about the gate of Hades and we just don't have time, maybe we'll hit another time. But Jesus claims about himself, about the church in this section of the Bible alone. Friends, there are implications when we read this text together. Who do you say that I am? And I wanna tell you something as I close. I truly believe what I'm gonna say here. This is a question that Jesus asks to you, to me. You can't avoid it. And we answer this question every single day. <clears throat> with our words, with our actions, with what we declare, with where we spend our money, with how we treat our wife, with how we treat our husband, with how we treat our boyfriend, with how we treat our girlfriend, with how we treat our friends, with how we treat our profs, with how we treat our prime minister, with how we treat each other on Instagram. We answer this question every single day. And I wanna tell you that when you take Christ as Lord in your life, 
she does the very thing that we struggle every single day to do, and that's try and do this whole thing by herself. And he says, no, 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 I'm right here. It's on that confession, we're gonna build this church. We're gonna build a, the church. You answer this question today and tomorrow and the next day, you can't avoid it. You have to wrestle with it. And so here's how I wanted to end tonight, not I, the whole church, but it, it fits so perfectly. We're gonna do communion. And so if you have your cup, go ahead and grab it. Why don't you stand to your feet? Go ahead and stand to your feet. We are ending and worship team, you can just stay and, and take communion. <clears throat> They're on the way up, I told them to back off, that was awesome. Just kidding, sorry guys. You guys can come, it's okay. No, I'm kidding. With communion, we get to do one of the most profound things that Jesus does with his disciples before he goes. There are very few things that, that God and Jesus leaves as like an ordinance for us to partake in, okay? Very few things, in fact. He fulfills the law and, and, and actually kind of starts the new covenant, but baptism is, or excuse me, baptism and communion are so important. And so we wanna slow down here for a moment. I know we're running a bit late. The Bible says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. And he tells the story that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. That's what this cracker represents, right here, that we're taking now. We had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He's talking about the day that he's going to the, like he's, he's helping them see that there's going to be a day and we now know on this side that Jesus went to the cross for you and me, that he was the Messiah, that he truly did come to die for you and me. He loves you that much. His body was broken for you and me. He broke and said, this is my body for you, excuse me, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Why don't we take the cracker together in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Verse 25, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, he's suggesting the blood I shed, the sacrifice I make. Every time we take this cup, we remember what Christ did on the cross for you and me. Let's take it together. Now, why do we do this? Why is this important? Maybe for some of you didn't do it, that's okay if this is foreign to you and you can stay standing. We right now are confessing and saying, Jesus, we see what you've done. We know what you've done. And on this confession, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Maybe for you, you're realizing for a very long time, you have gone on with Jesus just kind of being buddy pal beside you, vending machine. I need you now, I'll put some money in. Hopefully something can come out. And no, like what I'm suggesting is let's not do that anymore. Let's be a generation that confesses that Christ is Lord, that he died for me and he died for you, that he does love you unconditionally, amen? That there is grace and mercy new every single morning, friends. That's what we're doing in communion. We're confessing and saying, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of our life. That's why I love this last verse and I've left it until now. It says this in verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread or wafer or cracker, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord, amen? You proclaim that God is good, that he is the fullness, that the goodness of God runs towards us, amen? 
Six, come on, I need to hear more from you. Because if we go on life, continuing just to be like, yeah, I guess, and maybe sure, and I'm not trying to make fun of you guys, I'm saying this news is too good to be subtle about. This news is too good to be quiet about. This news is far too good to put your Bible away when you're at Starbucks, when someone's trying to ask you questions about what you're reading. This is Jesus, friends, and he's done something for you and for me, and on this confession, we say, God, you are good. God, you are real. I need you now more than ever. I need you in every aspect of my life. You are Lord, and I give everything over to you in Jesus' name. That's how we need to be, amen? And so worship team, yeah, let's definitely come now. Come on. You should, I mean, I was preaching up a storm. I figured you were behind me. No, I'm just teasing. But let's, let's sing one more time. And I just, can I encourage you that no matter where you find yourself in your spiritual journey, right now in this moment, you can take a step towards Jesus. For, me, for you, maybe that's for the very first time going from this posture. I'm not judging. I'm just suggesting. I mean this with all my heart. To this. To this to just thinking about this thought, who do you say I am? We know who Jesus says he is. We know what Peter said. We know what this church stands for. We have to answer that question. And we answer it every day. Would you pray with me? God, one more time, we come to you right now with all that we have. Like we saying, God, if you want, if you want my heart, you can, you can have it all, Lord, take it. God, we just proclaim right now your goodness. We proclaim that Jesus, would you be Lord over our lives? Would you reign sovereign in every sphere, in every, in every part, in every corner, in every closet, whatever it is, God, be in our heart, be in our life in such a way that we know you, we feel you, God. It's so tangible. Heavenly Father, I know you want a relationship with every person here. God, like we were praying before service, I pray for the person who for some reason feels like they're not worthy, they, 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 that for some reason you don't see them. Lord, I pray right now they would see it for the first time, how much you love them, how you do see them. How God, on this confession that Peter making, that we make tonight, God, that you would be in our hearts in such a way, God, that we would never be the same. So Jesus, in this moment right now, I pray that we would step a little closer to you. Come on, six, take, a little, take a step closer. Friends, take a little bit, take, take, do something in your own heart, in your own life that says, God, I'm leaning in right now. I'm drawing close to you, God. If you want to raise your hands, if you want to sing louder than before, do it. But, but make a statement because this gospel is too good not to. So Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We to give you all the praise and all the glory because you deserve it. You absolutely deserve it. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's sing together.